prepared to share in the message this morning. I'd like to read the scriptures to you. And would you stand for the reading of God's Word? First Corinthians, starting with uh, chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the world of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks to seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Amen. You may be seated. The Scriptures this morning... As we go through 1 Corinthians, uh, just a reminder that uh, what preceded this was uh, Paul talking to them about dissensions in the church and the fact that they were following after different people. He said some are following after Peter, some after Apollos, some after uh, uh, Paul, uh, some after Christ. And even the, the, the context there where it says some after Christ, you'd say, oh, well, they got the right the right decision, but because of the the context that it's put in, following after Christ, but not the gospel necessarily. In other words, coming up with some a definition of who Christ is. And I didn't even think about it, but uh, during this time was a form of what is called Gnosticism, where the idea of, of teaching Christ was that uh, there was no Christ never really came in the flesh, for instance, and and so. Uh, Paul is saying, this is not what I taught you, basically. And so he's now going to share with them uh, what it is that that is important. Uh, so instead of dissension in the church and, and following after all their own levers, he wants you to know what you really need. And that is the gospel, the basics. In fact, uh, I, I looked at this and... and, and the, we We read this morning the Apostles' Creed. That is a very clear outline of the basics. Think about it. We say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So we have just now declared we believe God as the creator. Not, not, you know, we're saying He is the creator. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, our Lord, who has conceived, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, which brings us into not only His miraculous virgin birth, but also entering into the concept of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And he says, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. We're talking about his death, burial, and resurrection that he paid for our sins. That's the good news. That is the gospel. You know, he, he's taken our sins upon himself. And then the, the next part says, he ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of God. By the way, that's a very important phrase. The right hand of God. Uh, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. The right hand of God is the place of, where God has said, I give you the authority. You've heard the, the phrase, the right hand man. He's in charge. <laughs> well, Jesus has been given all authority. In fact, he says with the Great Commission, I want you to go out and, and all authority has been given to me. I want you to go out and disciple and, and uh, make disciples and baptize them. And so, uh, this picture of, of Jesus, you know, he, uh, the, the basics, the gospel, God, the Creator, the Trinity, the death, burial, and resurrection presented here in the Apostles' Creed, the authority of Christ. And then it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the, the, where it says the Holy Catholic Church. You'll notice that even on our thing we have a, it says universal Christian church. That's what the word Catholic means. And, uh, and so some people might get uh, frustrated and think, oh, the Catholic Church, what are we trying to say here? Uh, this word was involved in this creed before there was a Catholic Church. It's simply a word that means universal. And so we're saying there is a universal church. In other words, it's not just our congregation. We are all the body of Christ. And it includes past Christians, present Christians, and future Christians. All are the church, the, the, the united church. And then it says the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the, of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And, and the idea here is that we have a personal and a collective relationship with Christ. And so, Paul is trying to, to emphasize to them uh, the importance of the gospel. And I just wanted to kind of put out a picture, you know, what is the gospel? Um, Paul starts off, with, and we're going back to verse 17. Paul starts off, he says, I was sent to preach the gospel. And, and uh, you look at that, he says, uh, he didn't send me to baptize. Now, some people might turn around and say, well, is baptizing important? He's not saying it's unimportant. He's saying, but first, the gospel message must go out. If the gospel message doesn't go out and people don't get the right idea of who Christ is and get saved according to the gospel message, then when they're baptized, uh, you might say all they do is get wet. <laughs> uh, there, there's, you know, it, it's not... They have to have the gospel and receive it first. And so Paul is saying this is, this is important. We need to, to know what, that we are preaching the basics, the gospel message. And he goes on and says, uh, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And I looked at that and I thought, words of eloquent wisdom. What he's saying is that we're not to be concerned about how polished we are. And and if we were to look at it today, how polished we are in the pulpit. 
as much as we are to speak clearly the Gospel. I think of a church uh, in Southern California and uh, a congregation that was growing. And the interesting thing was the number of young people, that were, young couples with their children were coming. And that included my wife and I. And uh, the pastor... Uh, Using the, the terms that, that, that somebody might understand, he did not wax eloquent from the pulpit, but boy, did he know the gospel. And I recall my mother-in-law, after I'd said that I had become a Christian, but I didn't know where to go to church, she says, she says, oh, well, you know, she says, that a guy I work with, uh, his, his name is Ray, he invited me to go to, to his church, and it's uh, this church over here, and and he's he's an elder in that church now, and and I said, oh, okay, interesting. She says, yeah, his name is Ray Cartwright, and I said, Ray who? She said, Ray Cartwright, and I said, about so tall, slender, built, graying beard. Yeah, that's him. Ray and I had been drinking buddies in college, bar hoppers together. And I thought, if they can help him, they can help me. And I went and met with the pastor. And we got to be good friends. And he was just one of these people on one-on-one and, and in small groups, he could just so do well with the pulpit. And from the pulpit, he delivered the Word of God. And uh, we grew to the point where we needed a new facility. And so the and they and they raised the money and the money came in. It was amazing how it all came together, and and they built the new facility. And a group of the leadership, part of the people who actually founded the the church a number of years back, looked around and said, you know, with a facility this nice, we need a pulpiteer. We need somebody who is more eloquent in the pulpit. They fired the pastor. Jerry had never done anything else. He couldn't just pick up and move. He went to work at Del Taco. That was the only thing he could do. And a member of the congregation owned a Del Taco, and so that they, he says, at least he'll you know get by. And uh, Jerry moved on to another ministry. Became a security guard. Finally, he actually ended up in a church again in Arizona. But, you see, their concern was, this is a beautiful sanctuary. We need a young, energetic pulpiteer, a a person in the pulpit. And they interviewed and interviewed and interviewed and they finally got him. And you know what was really interesting about it? He was extremely good looking. He was extremely proficient in the pulpit. And he and the secretary enjoyed each other very much. And he moved on. We get, we get sidetracked sometimes in the church in the United States as to how to present ourselves. We want to, you know, we, you know, if we're not of a certain size, you know, uh, are we, are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? 
And all I can say is what Paul says here, the Gospel needs to be preached. And let God do the rest is really what he says. So, he says, don't use eloquent wisdom. Verse 17 again, he says, because the cross of Christ may, would be emptied of its power. In other words, if, if, if the, the idea is a polished preacher in the pulpit to, to influence people to come in, he says, the power of Christ might be weakened. So, be careful. He's trying to get this idea. And, and, and so he explains himself. Verse 18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. In other words, those in the world who are not interested in, the, in Christ, not interested in the gospel, and that's what the word of the cross is, the gospel, he says, it, 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 to them it's folly, meaning absurd. To them it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Why would anybody give their life to something like that? And why would they believe in a bodily death, burial, and resurrection? Why would they believe that somebody literally came back from the dead? By the way, that was the thing that stopped me. I couldn't figure out why so many people would buy this picture that somebody physically came back to life. And so, I studied. And after a while, I realized it must have happened because look at the consequences of, of what happened and the beginning of the church and all the things that happened. And, and, and so it was, uh, and the miracles that came with that and, 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 and so much. And I realized it's true. To that point where I said on August 26, 1976, God, if this is true, then I better get right with you. I surrender. The word of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. And once I was in that transition, I began to see the power of God. And how it moved not only in my life, but in the lives of others as I began to share. And he said, the power of God for those who are being saved. It's, in other words, those who are believing it, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. In other words, God says, the, the wisdom of man I will destroy. Meaning, it, it, it doesn't match up to, to the things that are eternal. It's going to die with everything else. The wisdom of man has is, is got a limited life span it's got a limited shelf life and and he says you know it it will be it'll end in romans Chapter 1, it talks about the world and what's happening to it. The world and its wisdom. Okay? 
Paul writing here to the Romans, verse 18, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness supposes, suppresses the truth. In other words, they, they take their own thinking and, and, and put the truth down. Again, they're looking at it and saying, it's folly, it's ridiculous, it's absurd. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they wanted, they, there was a sense of needing to acknowledge something that, that, you know, and to worship, and, and so they ended up worshiping the creation rather than the Creator. And all I wanted to point out here was is that they, man's wisdom led them to that. Look at, you look at creation itself. Are you not amazed at, at, at the intricacy of what happens even just with a seed going into the ground and growing something? Even more, as you get into, into the science of it, you start, you start realizing this mind-boggling to me that I look at this table and I work with wood almost all my life. And there are woods that are so hard that as you put them through a, a saw and it's a brand new sharp blade, it still smokes because it's having a problem cutting through the wood. Okay? And yet, in that wood, there's movement. Atoms and protons and electrons and all this kind of stuff. I don't know how to explain it. I'm not a scientist. I didn't do well in science. But I had an awesome teacher that told me all, all these things. And he says, but there's something holding them together. Now, the interesting thing is that science has yet to come up with exactly what that is. They tried the, 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 the uh, theory of a thing called gluons a few years ago. I thought, what an interesting name, gluons. That holds things together. Um, but uh, it, 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 <laughs> it didn't hold. <laughs> uh, but the, 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 the idea is that science still can't figure it out. You want to know why? Because Colossians tells us that it's the breath of God in, in, in life and, and it is God that holds things together. It's Jesus Christ that holds things together. By His Word, things are held together. He speaks and it holds together. Christ is the glue. I, it, the Scripture tells us what it is. And what was interesting that this, this science teacher, Dr. Blodgett, uh, he, he went as far as he could in explaining that there was a uh, had to be a, a an original cause that was intelligent. I didn't find out until afterwards when I did some work for him while I was in college and working in a wood shop. I did some some work for him, and uh, he shared with me that that was God, and that we could know Him through Jesus Christ. 
and he actually shared the gospel with me. And uh, as God only can do, he shrank the world that day for me as well because it turned out Dr. Blodgett knew my grandfather and that they'd worked on some plant and seed stuff together that got actually uh, taken into a seed company and, and they got the royalties from it and all that kind of stuff. And I'm saying, here's, here's a friend of my grandfather who was a devout Christian man. And uh, so God, all the way through, is planting seeds in me. But uh, Dr. Blodgett explains, you know, he says that eternal first cause, it has to be something that has, that has no beginning and no end. Because if not, then you have to say, well, where did that come from? Oh, well, it came from this elements in this way. Where did those elements come from? You, you can't. Eventually, you have to still come to, there's something eternal that's always been there. And it's intelligent. And, and so, uh, you know, this, this picture of, of understanding there's that, that, that there's a God and, and, and He expresses Himself through, through His Son and He's identified Himself through His Son to us. Uh, and uh, uh, so, Paul's saying, the word of, of, of the cross is folly or absurd to, to the perishing, but to those who are saved, it's what we hold on to. It's everything. And uh, he says also, he says, the wrath, uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men who in their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That's in Romans chapter uh, 1 verse 18. So I, I look at that and say there's those out there who, who think they're doing something great and yet they are suppressing the truth. And I thought about it and I thought, you know, every teacher teaches evolution is suppressing the truth. Think about it. They're planting the seeds of, of that, that, that suppress the truth. They say creation came from and, and happened this way and, and they leave God out of the picture. So, Paul, again, sent to preach the gospel, the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, when he says, I wasn't sent to baptize, don't, don't understand him thinking that that was unimportant. He's just saying that, again, without the gospel, baptism is, it's subordinate to the gospel. Let's put it that way. You need the gospel first. And, uh, it's clear after Paul says, I didn't baptize many of you and, and some of you baptized by this person, this person. It, it, the, the person baptizing you isn't the important thing. It's you and your heart as you're being baptized. You understand baptism. From Romans chapter 6, it tells us that we you know, are buried with Christ and raised with Christ to a newness of life. Okay, I want you to picture it this way. Here's the water. By the way, this is why I believe that immersion is the way for baptism and not just sprinkling on the head. Okay? Here's the water. We walk down into the water. He says, you are buried with Christ. 
The water rushes over you. You are in a watery grave for all intents and purposes. And it says you have died to the world and you've been raised, the resurrection, a picture of it, to walk with Christ. And, and so, it's a part of who we are and it's our identity to the world that we're saying, I am buried with Christ, raised with Christ. It's a, and, and, and the, the Christians did it in public. It wasn't something done in, you know, secret in the sense of one person baptizing one other person with no one else around. Uh, it was, it's, it's, it's something that the whole body shares together. So, again, Paul sent to preach the gospel. The gospel that the world rejects. And, uh, Just a second. I turned too far. He goes on and says, okay, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater or the orator of this age? And then he says, has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? And we know from what we've just talked about, yes, he has. For since in the wisdom of God, God's wisdom, he planned it this way, in other words, the world did not know God with, through its wisdom, implied the word its. In other words, the world with its own wisdom, it did not know God. God planned it this way. Why would God plan it that way? Because he knew man's sin would bar him from God and man would need to be brought down to the point where he realized there is nothing I can do. There's no wisdom I can amass of my own that tells me that I need a Savior. I need to come to the wisdom of God and find out how it works. God faithfully writing it all down for us so that we would know. It pleased God through what the world sees as folly, that we preach to save those who believe. And it is interesting. I don't know how many of you experienced uh, a negative reaction to your conversion. Uh, I was an adult, uh, 26, and the, the first real negative I got was uh, from a relative, a family member, uh, who said, oh, you're going to go to that church? Well, you know, that church has so-and-so as, a lead, as one of the elders, and, and he has a business, and boy, he's cutthroat in his business practices, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and, and uh, he always gets by with pain. You know. And so his thing was, you know, it, it, it's a bad place to go. And uh, I still figured that if Ray could be helped, I could be helped. And, uh, you know, it was that, that church, I don't know how many young people ended up in Bible college and in the ministry and in the mission field, but it was no, it's no small number. We're talking dozens of, of people. And what I looked at was, it was then when I got in Bible college, people that I worked with, they were always trying to trip me up. And, I, and you have to start to think, you know, what is it? 
that makes people so determined to undo what you have in faith. I had one friend, he was my friend. He was the he was uh, the manager one of the the managers of one of the departments of the the furniture store I was working in uh, unfinished furniture store that I was working in during Bible college and uh, I had a spray booth where I did people pick out their unfinished furniture and say oh I want it to match something I have that's fifty years old and they'll bring in a piece of that and I'll mix up the stains and stuff so that it'll match and that was my job and 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 then I also sold some of the furniture as well and and uh, my friend came back to me and and he says come here Bob I want to show you something and he opens up of all things a Playboy magazine and it, to a picture and he says what do you think of that I said well she's beautiful but I like my wife better. I didn't know what to say, you know, and uh, he was disappointed, you know, it, 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 that, that God gave me something to say. And uh, interesting thing was that the, the, the God gave me the opportunity to lead him to the Lord uh, before I left that furniture store. Um, but a number of them set me up at various points in times, and God always prevailed. It's amazing. So Paul asks, where is the one who is wise? The scribe, the debater, the orator, if you will. The teacher, the professor. I had professors in college, uh, secular college, who I even took in a comparative religions class. In the comparative religion class, the, 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 the pastor who was teaching it, it was a pastor, uh, ordained minister in in, in town uh, shared a pantheistic pantheistic kind of view that all the religions would get you ultimately to God, and he believed that, and he said that that was really that was the the ultimate in Christianity was to take that understanding. No gospel. Where's the wise? Where's the teacher? The question mark is really, where is the gospel and where is it being preached? Wherever the gospel is being preached is where you want to be. If you're out of town and you're looking for a church and and you know somebody in the community, ask them, where is the gospel being preached? (laughs) When you move, I, I, I tell people, if you're moving to another location, investigate ahead of time where the churches are and who the churches are. And if you have an opportunity, visit some of them and see where the gospel's being preached. You know, as, as, as seen in, in the way we look at it and we, you know, with our for instance, sharing communion uh, every week together. The cross of Christ is central to us. What happened on the cross is central to us in our teaching and our faith. 
And it reflects what John wrote in his Gospel. In John chapter 1, he starts off, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he talks about it being, Christ being the light coming into the world. And so he's identified the Word is Christ. He identifies that in verse 14 where he says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and so we have the, the, the Christ, you know, the light in the world. He is the light of the world. And, and He's come in to reveal, to shine out, to show, to reflect, in a sense, who, who the Father is. And that's what verse 18 of John chapter 1 says, is that He's here to reveal the Father and ultimately the Father's plan. And, and uh, you know, in John chapter 6, there's an interesting thing that Jesus says uh, to, the, to the people. He's going through a number of things and finally... He talks about the bread coming down from heaven and the manna and stuff like that. And he turns around and he tells them in John chapter 6, verse 35, I am the bread of life. And, and he goes on to say, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will never die. And they, the, the Jews were offended. Uh, they, you know, they said, this can't be. They grumbled, it says. And, uh, but he says they'll never hunger or thirst again. And I thought, what is it they won't hunger and thirst for? Back to the Beatitudes. What's the, what's the thing that we need the most? The righteousness of Christ. Because without it, there is no eternal life for us. But we can't get the righteousness, the holiness of Christ, because we have sin. And so Christ goes to the cross and dies on the cross so that our sin is covered and we have His righteousness covering us. And so we say, Blessed is he who hungers and thirsts after righteousness, for he shall be filled. And Jesus says, And when life filling, you don't hunger or thirst anymore because it's permanent. The Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, starting with the 6th verse, give us a number of things like that. That, you know, uh, the merciful will receive mercy. Uh, the, you know, this, this picture of, of who we are in Christ. But all of it reflects the gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. If he had not done that, there would be no righteousness for us. Again, in communion, we share that. We acknowledge Jesus Christ came in the flesh. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in chapter 3, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that who should ever believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The flesh went to the cross Literally, in the flesh, went Jesus Christ, the Son of God, went to the cross. He physically, in the flesh, died. His body ceased to breathe. And then just to make sure he was dead, the soldier pierces his side and blood pours out. And he says, remember at the Last Supper, he said, this is... My blood poured out for you. 
to purchase the covenant. Hebrews tells us the life is in the blood and that's what has to to go. And so Jesus physically died, shed His blood. Every time we share communion, we share that Jesus Christ, Son of God, came in the flesh and died for us and poured out His blood that we would be have His grace and His mercy and His righteousness. Today as we share communion, we have two trays here. This one is two cups with the juice at the top and the and the there's another cup coupled with it and it has the bread. And so it's the bread and the cup that way. Or if you prefer we have packets on this side. And the reason we're doing this is we're still tra- practicing some COVID caution. Uh, and uh, we don't want to pass all the to the tray and have to everybody handle it. And so what we'll ask you to do is while we're singing a song for communion, if you'd come up and, and, and take the communion and go back to your seat, but hold it until we've all been served and the song is over and we'll share it together. So let's sing. Thank you. 
In the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when He was betrayed, took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. Let us share the bread together. He continues, In the same way, also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is now the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Let us share. Once again, we come to You, Father, thanking You. Lord, thanking You. Thanking You for all that has been done to bring us to salvation. We thank You for the Gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We thank You that it was a bodily resurrection that You showed us the victory over death so that we can literally say, death, where is Your sting? We can also rest with confidence where it says in Your Word that what is mortal, when we die, what is mortal is swallowed up by life. We thank You, Lord, that we can rest with absolute confidence as we confess that You are the Christ, the Son of God, raised from the dead, that we have eternal life. We share in this cup and this bread because You showed us this was how to remember You in our worship. And we do so with the confidence that what it says there, until you come again, that you are indeed coming again for your church. And we ask, Lord, that again, you would make us the the witnesses you need us to be where we are, whether in our families or at work or just uh, among friends, uh, neighbors, that will let people see what it is to have the indwelling of, of, of the Holy Spirit. To know that we have eternal life. I thank You for all who have shared through history. I thank You for the man who shared with me. We ask Your blessing on all who profess the Gospel. And we especially, again, remember the church in, in our world today that is persecuted. And we thank You for their boldness. May it be an instruction to us. And we pray, Lord, that You would bless them, keep them, cause their ministries to grow. And we ask, Lord, that their enemies might be saved. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for this opportunity to be together. We ask that You go with us as we leave today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close, please?
Thank you for being here this morning. 